to all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Hi, I'm Scott Jacobs. Join me as I chat with my pals who come from all walks of Disney life, including cast members, comedians, photographers, chefs, musicians, choreographers, and Broadway friends who have worked on stage and behind the scenes. We'll talk attractions, shows, food, characters, tips and tricks for planning your trip and navigating the parks, and more. Welcome to The Mouse and Me. Hello, Disney fans. Welcome to The Mouse and Me. I'm your host, Scott Jacobs, and I am so glad you're here. If you listened to my other interviews, you know that I have a performing background. While I loved every moment that I was on the stage and in front of the camera, I also loved every backstage and behind-the-scenes moment just as much. By nature, I'm a very curious person, and I've always been interested in how things work. For example, in 1994, I had tickets to see Billy Joel at the Thomas and Max Center in Las Vegas, and the morning of the concert, I showed up at 5 o'clock in the hopes of getting hired to work the show. I really wanted to see how a concert got set up, the unloading of the trucks, setting up the lights, the sound towers, and the stage. Luckily, they needed extra help, and they hired me on the spot, and the whole experience was educational, eye-opening, and amazing in every way. The work that today's guest has done is also eye-opening and amazing in every way. He worked in a few different roles behind the scenes at the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim for over 18 years, and I cannot wait for you to hear his stories. Please welcome the interesting, entertaining, intelligent, and wonderful Sam Bird. Sam, how are you? Thank you for being here. I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's nice to finally connect with you. Yeah, yeah. Been looking forward to this. So you were a Disney cast member at the Disneyland Resort for a really long time. How, how many years was it? I was uh, there 17 and a half. Uh, and then um, due to the pandemic, I had a little break. And when I came back, they abridged my term of service. So I'm technically an 18 and a half year cast member. So you were originally hired... Under whose, uh, was it Bob Iger? Was it? Um... It was Michael Eisner was still there. Bob Iger okay. was the, uh, was getting trained up. So uh, when I first started, um, we would do special events and then they would both show up, you know, like, like Bob would be one step back from Michael. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So I've been in the same room with both gentlemen many, many times. <laughs> I just watched the dedication for the new Disney Wish. And Bob Chapek was there, and then uh -huh. Josh Jamaro was there. So I'm assuming whenever Bob Chapek is no longer the CEO, Josh will slide into that role. I would like that. So I didn't I didn't experience well, of course I experienced Chapek, but Josh I've been on stage and backstage with, and I love his energy and I love his uh zeal for the company. I feel like he's I feel like he really gets it. He seems like a really true blue guy. Yeah, I can I can confirm that I have the same impression. <laughs> <laughs> what were your specific job titles? Okay, well, um, when I first hired into the company, I was in the art department, so uh, I was art crew. And uh, early on, I saw the opportunity that there was going to be growth for me. So within six months, I became a crew lead. So I got to start off just underneath a lead, and we would go set up uh, a scenery decorate, 
transform different parts of backstage from uh, backstage Disneyland to conference rooms and the hotels to whatever theme that you can imagine when in a Disney area. So that was the first huge portion of my career. There's lots of stuff I did in there, lots of big events like movie premieres. Um, but what it was was loading trucks with scenery, uh, going and changing over an entire area to look properly. And when I first began, we had a lot of carte blanche on decorating. So I'd almost say I was a scenic decorator so slash art crew member. Um, so that was, that was how I started. I did that for a very long time. It just fit and changed and was interesting over time. And then at a certain point, it just didn't feel challenging anymore. And ironically, I had decided to leave the company and look for something else. And I had put in a resume a couple of years previously to the technical services side, to the, to the real show side of the company. And the week that I was going to put in my notice to quit Disney, I got a call and asked to come into interview for that position that I had almost forgotten that I applied for. And it was for the following day. So I was like, wow, I was... They don't know how close they came to losing me. And that was 11 years into my career. And I came in and interviewed and I could tell at the interview that it was just, you know, it was a cursory thing that I could tell. It's just, just to make sure I was interested just to get me to say yes. Cause I came in, had a bunch of easy questions. And the next thing I know, I was a stage technician and it started the whole second wave of my career. What shows did you work on? So let's see, I started, let's see, what was the first? So started with the, with the grad nights was just the, just, just my intro to being in the department, but almost immediately because of my scenic art background, I got to work on Haunted Mansion Holiday. So mm. that's, and that's pretty cool. Cause that's a small dedicated team that, that has been doing it for a long time. So getting one of the roles there and having the space to move into that space was well, it was magical. It was just like, I can't believe I'm in the Haunted Mansion doing this now. And that what I did before led to that. Um, then that led directly into Small World Holiday. So I got to do Small World. And that was amazing. And then, um, well, one of your previous interviewees, Kate Harrow, was on the Jingle Cruise. And yeah. she requested me sight unseen on my resume and word of mouth. So that's how I got connected with Kate and got to be uh, the scenic lead on the Jingle Cruise. So that was kind of a, that's kind of out of the frying pan into the fire, come into a new job and then have a leadership role immediately um, decorating the the Jungle Cruise um, with, you know, very specific Christmas props. So it was, that was a really intense fun way to get started it's like wow these are all kind of specialty roles that i got to jump right into and then yeah then i've also worked on a lot of the big shows which ones okay so um trying to think of order of operations here because i came in right at a huge point of transition and they happen kind of back to back to back so um aladdin um closed and frozen came in so i shortly after the holiday overlays um i was on the Aladdin strike slash frozen install. So I went from like right into the Hyperion theater and helped remove the final bits that were left of Aladdin. Cause there's already some crews doing that. And then I got to work on installing frozen. And then when you take on one of these roles as a stage technician, it's almost like you get, uh, well, it's not almost, you definitely get consideration to be on the show. So that led to me getting a show role on there. So I, I, 
prop mastered there during the install for the show. I helped put in a lot of the special effects that you see during the show. Stuff that I've never done before, not lighting and audio, like like okay. other special effects that were going that were going on. And then I went from that install as soon as we were done. It was like I think I was underground for almost five months i did i did get pulled out a couple of times to help with some prop mastering and some rehearsal stuff that they are doing um then phantasmic 2.0 came along now when you say underground what what does that mean i was literally under the stage in the trap room of the theater oh gotcha they have trap doors that come down and for a part of the show and those were utilized in aladdin and then they just got changed up a little bit for frozen so no i was i would start my day underground there were people that were doing work up on stage that didn't know i was on the gig you know they'd be like oh where you been the last few months i've like underground and they're like oh, we're and i'm like no literally underneath you i don't remember seeing you and i'm like no I, we worked on the same gig we're like i'm in the picture you know <laughs> so i got to kind of troll around and install miles of tubing because it was uh we, were, we i was on some of the special gas effects for the show so Got to run tubing, got to stand on these large ladders, even though I'm underground. And I spent a lot of my day, yeah, just uh, toiling away like that. <laughs> Sam, I, I want to take it back for a second. You mentioned the Haunted Mansion. What mm-hmm. did that look like? I, I know that the attraction closes down for, what, a few weeks or a month or something like that to turn it over? It's, uh, I think, 18 days is the tradition. They tried to do a shorter run one year. And we realized we needed the time. So I think it's about 18 straight days of being in the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Okay. Kate mentioned during our interview that they decided not to go forward with the Jingle Cruise anymore because they didn't want to close down the attraction for that long. But obviously Haunted Mansion, they want to continue that. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would say that that was a matter of contention for us because they were worried about the impact of having the ride down for guest flow um, when it came to Jingle Cruise. And we knew Jingle Cruise was popular. There's a version in Florida, and we knew that ours was very popular because there's an upper queue, and the upper queue almost is never full on the or, on jing, or Jungle Cruise, right? They uh, usually get through the line fairly quickly depending on the time of year, and it was the only time of the year that the upper queue was used, and we saw that the numbers were really high for the guests, and then guests like to repeat rides or just like, okay, well, we think we're capturing guests and we think we're not really impacting flow. If anything, we're helping keep guests out of the main areas and they're coming through. But that was, that was the word they gave was they were concerned that the impact that that would have to have the attraction down for a longer period of time. So in my opinion, didn't need to happen. <laughs> they should have kept it forever. They, you know, they're even with, with with me gone, there should be people having fun in the jungle making that making that magic every year. I mean, it's it was a special thing. Yeah. And what was the changeover for it's a small world? Was it just an overlay? Was it the just the outside? Was it throughout the attraction? Yeah, so that is the entire attraction. So there's uh there are some teams that do the outside lighting that you know, the, the classic, beautiful Christmas light um, changeover that you see. Um, but inside, uh, what we had the opportunity to do was um, decorate and theme all of the areas within Small World. And there's a lower and an upper section. So there's the parts that are off the ride that are kind of on your normal view. And then there's stuff that hangs over and around. And there, there are teams that work up there. So there's actually specially trained rope access technicians that do the upper stuff. And I was one of those 
and then there are people down below that are doing stuff down below and i was one of those when i first started so i started on the ground and then i got to do above so i've done the whole change over there and it's it's a neat opportunity the flume actually gets gets drained i'll give you a little bit of backstage stuff the flume actually gets drained so the the boat ride that you're on is dry so that's our that's our travel main travel point is walking through the attraction like guests do just with no water gotcha because i know in florida Mm -hmm. the entire showroom is flooded and in california it is a flume and that was actually going to be my next question for you yeah 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 so that's uh yeah we uh yeah, we get to play. We get to play around with that. And actually, one of the fun things that um, used to get to annually happen, and I'd hope to think that they're going to do that again, is when they uh, reflood the flume. Uh, there are um, duck races. So you know your little bathroom rubber duckies. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. For like for uh, at least for a period of years. And like I said, I hope that that tradition came back after after the shutdown. Um, you know, people would have their decorated rubber duckies or themed rubber duckies and do a little race before the uh, the boats got put back in for the season because you can't, oh, that's can't really take cool. that kind of risk. Yeah, yeah. So you said you were up top, you were suspended from ropes and you were doing the work from up top. Yes. And yes. so I'm assuming there's access points through the roof or were there ladders to get up there? I mean, you know, Disney does a great job with hiding things in plain sight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, for... Uh, well, for all for our purposes, the ceiling. If when you ride through, you notice uh, it's kind of like a tiled ceiling, and it's a drop ceiling. So that ceiling is all floating below um, a very safe, very constant, uh, very what would I have to say? Um, smartly done catwalk system. Because oh, gotcha. Yeah. So we walk along this nice catwalk system that's very very secure and i have to say that because i've seen i've seen some janky systems in my life um so it's a very nice secure system but then there are points where things are hanging down into the attraction so we have to do is get out to those points so we actually have to set ropes to allow us to safely walk along beams to get above the point and then we remove the tile and then we have to set our points with the ropes and then repel ourselves in using climbing gear to be able to swap out those set pieces and those props and stuff during the, uh, during the seat for the season. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Any mishaps? Uh, fortunately, no, not for, not for us. The, uh, the worst thing that ever happened was a non-Disney cast member got themselves in a position where they had their safety gear and they stepped into an inappropriate place without realizing it wasn't going to support them and they Whoops. fell into their safety gear. So luckily they got caught by their safety gear. They were safe, but they had to be rescued, you know, and so then oh, then, no. then you... Then you do have like the fire department come and other people that are also rope access trained to assess the situation, see how the person got into that mess and then the, the safest way to get him out. So luckily for that, that gentleman, he got out safely. But when it comes to our team, it, above reproach, I'd say when it comes to the rope access with Disney, I mean, it's, it's uh, people say it's safer than using ladders. So even though it looks, you know, kind of, well, pro and overwhelming even, you know, to go, oh my gosh, you're up there on ropes. You better be careful. And it's just like, ah, these ropes are probably better than, you know, anybody on a ladder because a ladder slips, trips, falls. You put your weight in the wrong place. So if you're trained to use ropes, you're, you're probably, uh, you're probably gonna be okay. What was the big change for, I've never been to the Haunted Mansion holiday. Okay. What, what's the big changeover? 
Well, it's a complete nightmare for Christmas. Um, oh, changeover. Yep. Okay. So, oh, I don't know what year they're in now, but we're we're in uh, coming up on like a twenty year or so anniversary, and that's that's like a lot of our successful attractions and events at Disney. They plan to do them for a few years. So when that first came out i don't think they plan on doing it for more than five years total because it the idea came out in conjunction with the movie and then it's just such a beloved thing that i don't think they have i don't think they have an end date in mind anymore it's been going on for almost a couple of decades now if they decide to not bring it back mayhem will ensue Ah, uh, yes, yes. I mean, there are people that have tattoos of every single character from that movie. I mean, there's, yeah, it, it is, it is, people look forward to this annually. They come back multiple times for this annually. And it's a full changeover from the entry gates that you're coming in. Jack greets you from the post with a clock on it. Um, so he greets you in his in his Santa outfit or Sandy Claus outfit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then right from the beginning of the queue, I mean, it's, it's a full transformation. Like the entire gardens outside are, are, are decked out. There's wreaths everywhere. Um, The front, the face of the mansion gets a full changeover. There's a large clock up there. That's, that's, showing how many days till christmas and it's you know it's zero oh, but cool. it's, but, the, but the numbers are rolling but we're at zero because it's christmas now there are um uh candles that are installed on top of the building that's an that's another one i've done the groundwork and then i've done the up above work there too so there's people that are also rope access trained and even though we're not hanging from the building on the outside um we need to have that protective gear to make sure we're working safely and we can get to the edge safely so um oh yeah jack slay is on the building um it's that's all just on the outside and then as soon as you come in i mean it's it's every beat it's the it's from your entry to walk into your ride your doom buggies to you know to the the load queue has a giant advent calendar in it so normally it's black over there to your facing forward or to your right when you enter the buggies and mm-hmm. there's a giant set piece that's a multi-tier piece with like presents and animatronics and that all has to happen so that 18 days is a very it's a very prescribed 18 days and there's multiple teams working together um with each other's time frame in mind because you have the deco crew you have your animation crew you have your your rope access climbers and we all have to work with each other's schedule so you so this team has to get this done by a certain time so that team can keep going and that team's finishing the thing they're doing over there and it's it is a it is a it's a clockwork of, sure, of sure. work yeah yeah now is it like a 24-hour shift no it's a 10-hour it's i think i believe it's a 10-hour day um and then there are a couple holdovers that get to do more uh stuff like say touch up artists and stuff like that might have a slightly different shift, but it's a 10 hour day and it does overlap. Um, there is a morning and an afternoon crew depending on, uh, yeah, depending on the day. So it's, so I guess it is, I guess it is not a 24 hour shift, but there are two crews cause there's just certain stuff that, um, you kind of need everybody out of the way for sometimes the rope access people really need the entire floor to be clear for safety. So that way they can move into what they're doing. Sure. So you, you do have a little bit of that now that you mention it. So, yeah. But the yeah. doom buggies stay in place. They do. 
And then there are sections of them that get removed to assist us with our load in because we have to cross the tracks um, frequently. So, gotcha. so yeah, so, so, so little, little rows of them might be removed. And then um, at the very end, we're doing test and adjust to make sure that everything's perfect. So they are running. So then you need to avoid the track unless you're actually going to ride it to spot the work you're working on and then get back off and then they'll turn it off again and then you might fix some stuff and then go back on. But safety is paramount where um, everybody in the building is required to lock out, tag out. And so uh, the lead of the day will take their ID and they'll lock it in this box. And then in the box is the key to be able to operate the uh, the ride or not. And then every person working does the same thing. They, they take a lock and they lock their ID onto the box. So every single, and they take their key. So if okay. anybody hasn't unlocked their lock that, that also locks the box, then um, the ride can't get turned on until their lock is removed. So if you're the person that is supposed to put it back in order at the end of the day, you're restricted if there's anybody still working somewhere within the building. So that way you never have a, an incident. So Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Now, were you in one of the skiffs with Kate for the Jingle Cruise changeover? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So for Jingle Cruise, I, uh, well, I was a scenic lead. So she, she was my boss okay. <laughs> like on the ride. So yeah, we shared a lot of similar space, but I was her, I was her first in command. I was like her number one on the crew. So we actually worked together probably the least amount of anybody because we worked together collaboratively and then check back within each other. Uh, with each other for the rest of the setup. Did you always want to do this type of work? Like, did did you go to school for technical theater? No, no, I, <laughs> no, this happened all just by magic, serendipity. I, I don't know, fate, you know, the spirits. Uh, I went to Disneyland uh, when I was 24 years old to get a job, hoping to work on the ranch. So the ranch is no longer there. But before they built Star Wars Land, backstage behind the Big Thunder Mountain barbecue area, like the the family area, there was a ranch. And so that's where all the animals were. And my dream was to have an organic farm when I grew up. And I used to be on the road. I used to hitchhike. I used to travel around the country. I was a wild child. And I went to Mm -hmm. festivals. and And I learned how to do that. I learned how to live that lifestyle. And um I said, hey, what if I could work with these animals and learn how to get trained to kind of run a little bit of a ranch um without having to leave Orange County? And I went into the 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 casting office and applied and they asked me if I had these specific skills. And I was like, well, no, I was hoping to learn these skills there. And they're like, okay, well, here. With your background and your energy, we think there might be something that fits you. And they said, have you heard of the art department? I was like, no. And they're like, well, (laughs) we think you're a good fit for the art department. And I was like, okay. And then what do I do? And they're like, well, we're going to have you come back and we'll have you interview with the art department manager and we'll see how that goes. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, what what is it all? And they're like, actually, we don't know that much about it. We just know that you fit the criteria. (laughs) And I'm like, cool. So you don't know what what you're offering me as a job. I don't know what the job is. Let's see what happens. And I came back had the interview with the manager and he was just like, Oh yeah, you're one of our people. Like you're, you're a good fit for, for what we need. And I'm like, I'm still not entirely clear what I'm going to be doing. Am I, <laughs> am I doing art? Am I painting things? I'm doing whatever it is. Yeah, you'll be doing that. And I'm like, well, what, what else? You know, he's just like, you'll just see. And then I saw for 11 years, I, I got to, 
<laughs> I got to find out that it's something I would have done if I'd had the opportunity. Like if I had just taken that theater class in high school that I never mm-hmm. took, um, I think that it would have clicked. But somebody there or multiple people there saw that I had that quality to me. And then that's that's how I got pulled into it. So, so I'm grateful that that happened. Because I feel like I had actually tried everything before. I've, I had done. I'd been a pizza delivery driver. I'd done construction. I had worked in an office. Um, I had done sales. I sold. I helped sell. A, I was a sample person selling pet food and in Petco's. Like, and okay. I. Uh, so I'd really touched all these things after I'd gotten off the road, not really knowing where my fit is. And I'd say, yeah, entertainment was a very natural fit once once I got exposed to it. It's a very cool and interesting and fulfilling career, isn't it? Yeah, there's nothing like it. I think that even my family-wise, I've even told my dad, I'm like, I think this would have fit our family before, you know, looking at his life history, even my grandpa's life history. My grandpa's an entrepreneur. My dad was in Vietnam and had been an entrepreneur and then got his his full-time jobs at the post office because the post office used to offer that to veterans and stuff. And I was like, man... I think if you had taken, if you just worked in a theater for like a day, I think you would have had a whole different career. You know, I think, I think we're an entertainment family. We just, it took, took till me to find out. <laughs> Did you have a good work-life balance? Um, not always. I had to figure that out for myself. So I would say no, I would say clearly no. When I, especially when I became a technician, I'd say when I was in the art department, it was a little bit better because, well, you know what? The company was different when I was in the art department. Um, one thing is, is I, I watched this transition happen with the 50th because with the amount of time I was at the company, um, after the Christmas holiday season, um, there was a slump, like a notable slump where you would have January, February, March, pretty much. You better have your money saved or you better be ready to do something outside because you're just not going to work. And mm. once the 50th anniversary happened, that slump uh, evaporated. It just, it went away. It never got slow again. Like they would say, hey, the slow time's coming, but the slow time never came again. So so the first five years or, you know, or four years that I was there, I was used to thinking that I'm in kind of a nine month cycle and that I'm going to have to be ready. So that's a huge break. You can go on a long vacation. You can sleep in if you save your money or do whatever you need to do. It's kind of like getting a you know, it's kind of like being a teacher almost. And okay. then all of a sudden the slump went away and it just con- continued. And then the year of a million dreams happened. And then, you know, the 50th, I think lasted a year and a half. The year of a million dreams lasted like 18 months. You know, these years, <laughs> these years right, yeah. lasted a lot longer than a year. Um, and so I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do with that. And then that's when I, I got into such a leadership role. I started kind of cherry picking what my, what my jobs were in the art department. And then when I became a technician, I did the opposite. I didn't know how to say no. I was having a lot of fun taking on these new projects, joining these new teams. And I kind of did it until I was uh, working way too much and I had very little control over my lifestyle anymore. And I really think I did it to myself in that sense where I think they, they will work you. They will make sure that you get put somewhere and they will expect you to show up if they want you to. They'll expect you to to quote, meet the needs of the company. You know, that's, yep, that's yep. kind of a, that's a Disney saying is like, what about the needs of the company? But I think I had not had the practice to, um, self-select what my career was going to look like. So then I became this amazing jack of all trades that could work any hour, any day for any number of days. And, um, 
And that was probably going to be what, if I stuck with the company longer, that probably would have been my, my focus is to create my work-life balance. But you have to create it yourself. You have to set your standards. You have to communicate. You have to, you have to make choices to make it work. It's not going to, they're not just going to do it for you. You know, they're going to, well, if you're good and you're available and you have the right attitude, you're just going to keep working. Now, did they limit you to a 40-hour work week or whenever you were doing a changeover? They're like, okay, look, we just need the extra help. Overtime is approved and you just stayed until the job got done. Number two, for sure. So um, I rarely worked only a 40-hour work week. I usually tell people I had a 60-hour week job um, because schedule-wise, I might have gotten scheduled sometimes even as low as 32 or 36 hours. But those weeks usually turn into 50 plus hour weeks. Like it just, it just happened like that. So even, it, it, yeah, I, overtime was usually approved on the stuff I was doing. Cause if yeah, on the overlays, if you're running late, there's going to be more time or days and there's really no compromise on that. I mean, the show has to open on time. Sure. Um, installs traditionally take longer than, than people project because they want to get their budget. They want to get the install going. And the next thing you know, it's more overtime, more time, special events or live events, uh, you just have to assume they're going to go over because if you assume you're going to leave on time, you're going to leave a lot of people disappointed and the work's not going to get done. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You're coming in to do something. You're like, okay, I'm working overnight. We're doing this production, and you're like, well, no, I'm definitely going to be here late, right? I need somebody to watch the dog, right? Because yeah, and after a while, you just get used to it. You know, you, you what I noticed, it, it's your life. Entertainment becomes your whole life, and so that's your community. Those are your friends. That's your family. And that's what I noticed for myself is my outside of work friends, family and relationships were sparing or just had to understand. And then after the amount of time that I put into that career, it just became Disney became it because of that. It's that's that's where my people are, because, you know, I would I don't know. I haven't had a normal life, but it seems to me that if you're outside entertainment and you tell somebody you can't make it to their thing more than a couple of times they assume you don't actually want to be there and then the invitations right. stop coming and that's right. kind of what i experienced but then on the other side i had this tight family of people that i spend so much of my life with that yeah they're the family i had can you talk a little bit about the demand on the cast to bring the magic to life hmm let's see i love this question so let me see how that looks in my mind because i i would honestly say that that is driven by the cast more than anything, to tell you the truth. I think that I, I can't speak to how their hiring practices are now, but I, I, I would like to think they keep up the same standard that they did when I worked there. I helped onboard a lot of cast members into the tech services department. That's okay. So I wore a lot of hats. So not only was I art department lead crew, tech department lead crew, GFM, uh, I also onboarded cast members. So what's GFM? Uh, general floor manager, general foreman, it gets interpreted okay. two different ways. So that would be the step above a, a crew lead. So you might be in charge of like the leads of departments below you. So, you know, say it's deco or lighting, audio, stuff like that. You might be in charge of those people that are in charge of the specific crews they're leading. So I had, okay. a, I had a little bit of that experience too. Um, but I also was an onboarding cast member for technical services specifically. So when they would hire techs and then they got done with their normal Disney introduction, they had a couple days of getting told how the company works, what it's like to be backstage, how to find everything. Then 
we got to train them on actually being technicians at Disney and what that means and where all of our stuff is, you know, like where our specialty items are or how certain things work. And I would say that it's such a, it's such a prestigious thing to have on your resume and it's such a draw for so many people just because it's Disney, just because it's Disney period that we get people in that always knew they wanted to be at Disney. I mean, I know people that were opposite of my experience that saw Fantasmic when they were 11 years old and knew that that's what they wanted to do. And that's what led them to become an audio tech or a video tech or or a carpenter or an animation person because they knew someday they were going to work on that dragon over there because it blew them away when they saw the fire come out. And so I would say that the cast in my department and in what I did, um, entertainment as a whole, drives the magic they they all have an idea what they want it to look like they all have an idea what it's supposed to be and they they die hard to make sure that it it gets done you know they're they're they come in ready made to put in the extra hours to to really make sure that it all works and they have that that internal drive so i'd say the company wants that and I don't, I don't even know they know how to, how to dole that out to people so much. I would, I would say that if we could put our energy into people that work in other departments or other parts of the company, that would be a great influence because I think that's, you know, I'm always going to have nice things to say about these people. They're consummate professionals that really sure. care about, care about Disney, you know? Yeah. Every performing job I've had, whether cast, crew, mm-hmm. we all wanted to just get the job done, but we wanted to do it right. And we would do whatever it takes, however long it took to get it right, because we truly cared. We were passionate. Yes. And so I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like I'd, I would say that's, that's part of what keeps you going back. I mean, I, I thought I was going to be with the company as a whole for five years. And then, you know, and I said, I didn't even have a good work-life balance for myself, but did I keep dragging myself in every day? Did I still show up for the show every time? And it's like, yeah, because if I'm not on this show, what if that show goes down? Or what if this effect isn't there? Or what if these these uh, cast members, or maybe I'm supporting certain characters that day. What if, what if there's less of those characters that get to come out? And then I know that that kid that was going to meet his favorite character, you know, like got let down. I mean, there's, you take it on and they don't, I would say they don't push you to behave that way. I would say the management doesn't actually do a lot to make you behave that way. Like that's why I said you're doing it despite your management. You're doing it despite some of the company, not to spite them, but despite them. Sure, because, sure. Because you truly care. Because you truly care, and I think that that translates to the guests. I mean, I've 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 had one day of being a guest in the last several several years, um, and I felt it when I was there, and I think that. That's what we really hope for. That's that's part of what makes it worth the sacrifices. What was the biggest challenge you faced when working for Disney and how did you overcome it? Hmm. Ah, okay. That one I think is almost pretty easy because it's been such a long period of time or that I worked there and I've gone through the whole human range of emotions, growth, attitude. And I think it was finding the lows and working my way out of them, actually getting tired or frustrated or having things outside my life start to come in. And that was, 
the biggest thing was recognizing those, realizing that that had happened, and then pulling myself back out. Because people have asked me, how was your experience with Disney as a whole? And that's such a general question. And I'm like, oh, the worst times of my life and the best times of my life were all encompassed in my work experience there. But the biggest challenge, I would say, was, well, almost facing that I hit the lows and realizing that I wasn't that thing anymore. You know, there's, I know there's a short period of time when, like, I just wanted to make it across the park without having to talk to anybody. And then we just had that conversation. I'm like, you know, internally, that's completely in conflict with who I want to be at Disney. And it's not what I want to represent. And so catching those moments and going, oh, my gosh, like that needs to stop like right now. Like I need to I need to go out and make eye contact with somebody and make sure they have a magical experience because that's something's got to change. And there and actually there are people backstage that do have those kind of philosophies and those ways of doing stuff. Like I, I had an office job for a little bit helping scheduling and with my department and the way that you would kind of break out of your malaise and scheduling was you'd go around and pick up some of this paperwork that cast members still dropped off by hand backstage, you know, and if somebody could tell you were low, you know, if you're like, you're having a day, they're just like, Hey, why don't you go, uh, why don't you go get the, you know, day off request from, you know, the physical boxes and you're like, fine. And then you would have to walk through the park and then you would have to get exposed <laughs> to people having right. a good time. And then that was the thing that would snap you out. And then you'd realize that's why they sent you. And you're like, that's why they made they made me come out here to get some perspective. And so so that was it, I would say, because you can't just stay positive and happy and hey yo, let's go all the time. I think there's a small amount of people that can just live that that kind of positive life um w- without much effort. And and that would be the the thing, keeping yeah, finding that again, finding that line and getting back getting back off of it, you know, just hey, it's not about me. It's about what I'm creating. Yeah. Nice. How has the ride and show technology and the company changed since you first started working for Disney? Oh, wow. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the most incredible parts about being there. I mean, let's see. So I started in 2003 and well, what's funny is uh, to to this I would say Indiana Jones would probably be kind of the most tech heavy, most, you know, high tech thing that we really had going on in 2003 and then by the time I left the company, Rise of the Resistance is is going. So you have, you know, a Star Wars themed track free ride with like full blown animatronics and all this choreography that's all working the entire time. And you're like, I don't even understand how that really works entirely. Like I get it, but I'm like, the fact that we're putting it out there and people are getting on these things, that's that's amazing. And then Frozen, for instance, like we definitely did shows. But the shows are, well, you've seen Fantasmic 1.0, I'm assuming. Have you seen the old Fantasmic? I have. It, it, it was, yeah. It's been a long time. Right. Well, they had water fans that they projected onto. And, you know, depending on the wind and depending on what was going on, you might get a pretty fuzzy view, but it was still really impressive of what's going on. You know, by the time we got 2.0 up, I mean, you see in crystal clear projections on water droplets happening, you know, under high pressure. And you're like, oh, I can't even believe that that's that's that possible right now. Whatever the content is, like the technology is has started to just make the show impressive anyway. Going into Frozen, the fact that you can do a, an entire show in front of a, a video wall that when I, when I started, I don't think that we had that kind of LED technology to actually have video. So Frozen has a giant video wall that's made up of LED panels um, with, you know, 
thousands of little LED lights on them that are actually creating an image and you're able to create a backdrop with that instead of using like a painted backdrop and it's animated. So it opens and closes, and things come in and out of it. And it's like, okay, so that's one of the, that's one of the coolest things working at Disney, whether or not I had a hand in the production of that specific thing or not is seeing how they're always on that tip. They're always trying to innovate break the mold on what they're doing. Like I have friends that worked on world of color and I never worked on world of color, but when you see people's desks that worked on world of color, you'll see patents. Like you'll see framed patents and their name will be on it because they had to engineer something or figure something out with their team. And you'll see that acknowledgement that you're like, wow. Like, so you worked on a patent for this technology that may be getting used, who knows, like in Vegas now or in countless amusement parks around the world. And because you had to figure that out so the Disney show could go, you just changed all of entertainment because now they can use that, that device that, sprays water in a way that not, that nobody ever could figure out before or does this you know this thing or or projects the led lights through the water the way that you know like the way it does to make this beautiful seamless changeover that even looks small in a show it might just be side side view stuff for your big show and you're like that's that's pretty cool yeah what if any cast member exclusive things did you do for example ride previews tours riding an attraction in a different way than what the normal guest gets to do Let's see, in a different way. Um, I think it was always different in the sense that I know with, with especially when I was earlier in, like I was there when they built um, the Hollywood Tower of Terror, which is now the um, Guardians of the Galaxy experience in mm-hmm. California Adventure. For one, I got to see that come from the ground up. Um, and so that was, that was really interesting and a weird, okay, weird little side note that I never get to tell people. It's just, I'm a gardener and I, and people would spit their seeds from stuff or maybe toss Mm. their lunch materials over there. So as a gardener in the time I was there, I watched a watermelon grow and it's the, it's the weirdest (laughs) obscure thing, but I always wondered who put their watermelon seeds there and it was just behind a fence. So I saw this plant come up and I identified it, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's a watermelon. And then I actually saw a melon grow kind of like in you know, the backside of the Tower of Terror as it was getting built. It was kind of a fun little time marker because it came up real fast and I saw that. But um, as far as a cast member riding the rides, it's kind of fun because they're calling it test and adjust just like you do in theater. And you're like, wait, we're testing and adjusting this and I'm riding it before other people do. So you're like, so I'm so I'm the dummy. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> and and so I think that sometimes, you know, we've gotten an experience, maybe it go a little faster than they decide to do it for the general public when it comes out. Or maybe there's, you know, we probably experience like in that ride, you have a drop and an up and a drop and an up. And it's part of the whole experience. And I think, you know, we got to experience more of those as they're trying to choreograph and really write their show. Um, also getting to ride the rides at like obscure times, you know, that's, you know, getting to come in at midnight or really early in the morning, or maybe, you know, the break of dawn and you're getting on a ride and you just later on, you kind of realize, well, there's no guest that's ever going to get on a ride pre-dawn and the sun's coming over, you know, the horizon and then you're getting that view. So, you know, to me, one thing I think I got out of my whole experience was I never lost the novelty of the specialness of those things for me. And, and I think, you know, you start to see them come up or a new ride comes up and depending, maybe your department's allowed to ride it, or there's a schedule where you know that if you're on a break or you're backstage, you might get a chance to ride something. But I, I never lost that veneer um, of 
finding the specialness. So even if I just wrote it 100% the way that the ride was designed, um, it wasn't lost on me that I was getting, well, I was getting to enter from backstage or I'm, or I'm, you know, or I am one of the first who knows how many people getting to ride that ride. And uh, I think that answers the question. I don't know if there's more in there. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Uh, Savvy mentioned that when she was setting up one of the events in California Adventure, Mm -hmm. that when they were changing over California Screamin' to the Incredicoaster, Mm -hmm. they went to her whole team and asked if they would ride the -hmm. Incredicoaster because they needed to fill every seat to check the sound. Mm -hmm. Did you ever do anything like that or maybe ride Space Mountain with the lights on or the Haunted Mansion with the lights on? Oh, I've definitely, yeah. Well, I've definitely ridden Haunted Mansion with the lights on. I mean, that's, that's absolutely... That's a magic breaker for you right there <laughs> because it's it's a dark, spooky thing. And then you're riding through and you're like, wow, I can see everything and I can see every special effect and I can see I could see the entire magic. I mean, it's like sure, if, sure. But once the lights are on, you can see what happens. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would say I've done all of that kind of stuff. I think that when we were doing Tower of Terror, I mean, our team was doing the the outside introduction stuff like the teaser stuff. And then getting pulled in to actually ride the ride. Um, yeah, I mean, it's almost hard to narrow that one down for me. It all kind of floods together because I feel like I've been on almost every attraction throughout every season for some reason or another. You know? Sure. Yeah, How yeah. many times do you think you rode Tower while they were testing it? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, I, it probably over 20 because, I mean, we, we were, as art department, there was certain stuff we'd come out to set up in front of the Tower um as it's getting built you know so that way people have something to interact with before the rides there so if you're oh, coming sure. and you're like oh i wish this was done you know and it's just like okay so we're setting up this thing there might be a little show happening and you know then we'd be hanging out backstage after we're done and they're like come on in guys you know we're like okay you know like to the to, to the point where you're like okay okay i can ride it again we're good we're good i'll <laughs> you know do i need do i need to ride it today did i just have breakfast it's fine let's you know, <laughs> like i don't want to turn it down because who knows if it's gonna be three hours to ride it once the park's open yeah do you like the changeover to guardians of the galaxy mission breakout you know, better than I thought I was going to. I was really heartbroken that they were going to take away the Twilight Zone portion. Um, I think I'm just old enough to where I really remember Twilight Zone being on network television on marathons for, you know, major holidays or different points of the oh, year. Sure. Yep. And I'm so, yeah, we're so Twilight Zone people. And I was just like, oh, I can't believe they're going to take this away from us. But I would say that, yeah, I think that they did that right. I think if you're going to retheme and reimagine a ride and and that was another thing to me the narrowness of the possibilities i was just like how are they going to do something that's even going to work and i was like oh no no they i think they made it work i mean they give you multiple possible outcomes multiple storylines right i like i like the theming i was like okay like okay you guys got you guys did it you got away with it (laughs) i mentioned this during another interview once i heard of the changeover i was like you i was a little skeptical and and i totally judged it and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is going to be terrible. And then I got on the new version. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we were done, I said to my wife, do you want to loop it? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's do it again. Let's yeah. set her up and let's let's do it again. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agreed. And I think that was part of me, too. I was just, you know, you go in with low expectations. I went in with like. Yeah, frustrated expectations. You know? <laughs> like ah, Disney. You know, like even when I want to get mad at you, you still end up bringing me this, well, this repeatable experience. <laughs> now you mentioned at the top that you originally wanted to work at the ranch, yeah, and that had been removed, and then you worked in the art department and 
on the technical side. Besides the two roles that you had, not including the ranch, is there mm-hmm. another role that you'd want to have? <laughs> okay. Now, if I had stuck with the company, or I, uh, I'm i not local to Disney anymore. I'm actually about the middle of how, as far away as I can get from Disneyland or Disney World now. I'm, I'm up in North Iowa right now. Um, but what I always told myself is that if I was a older, retired, um, that what... <laughs> I wanted to ride the trains. I wanted to be a conductor. Um, I wanted to just be 100% that Disney person that I remember when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, what I saw at Disney was it looked like every cast member was having an amazing time. It didn't matter if it was a janitor. didn't matter if it's a vendor of some sort. It just looked like everybody was having a really good time. And I'm pretty sure they were. I'm pretty sure it was a fun time to work there. And I'm pretty sure they're having a good time. And when I see the conductors on the trains, I'm like, I mean, they get to wear the spiffy outfit. They get to load people up and be friendly and interact with guests all day. And then they get to wave at the children. And it's just like, hey, partner. Hey, princess. Hey, you know, they get to be that person. And then they get to basically see Disneyland all day. They get to ride around looking at Disneyland all day. And I'm like, that seems kind of like this beautiful, meditative, positive experience where you just, you just can't lose. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Like I, I always remembered when I was a kid, um, you know, we get on the trains at some point, it always seemed like it was later evening. And I always remember getting on the train with my mom or, or whoever I was with, but usually my mom was on all those trips. And it was kind of like the, like, we can, we can sit back, kind of relax. And, you know, we've done it all. Like we've gotten on everything and we've had that experience. So I think even getting to ride around in the evening, everybody's kind of had their, like, they're in their satisfying glow of like, they rode their rides they wanted to, they ate the things they wanted to. And then now they're, they're getting to sit down for a minute and, you know, they might even ride it all the way around. And I'm like, I, I, I would always look at the trains when I was there and I'm like, okay, if I'm here when I'm in my sixties, I think that is exactly the job I'm going to see about transferring into. (laughs) You and I are pretty similar. I I always wanted to be a monorail pilot always. Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. The very first memory that I have of Walt Disney world Uh uh, when I was a kid was seeing the monorail go along the track and then disappear into the contemporary Mm-hmm. And then we rode the monorail. I sat in the front of the monorail when that was a thing. And man, was that just the coolest. And I'm like, this is what I want to do at some point in my life. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, well, yes, I love that one too. I'm glad you brought it up. Cause that one's like that. You almost brought that back for me. Cause I remember if we had the opportunity to go, uh, when I was a kid, you could enter Disneyland from the monorail from the Disneyland hotel. And I didn't know until I was a teenager that you didn't have to be staying at the hotel to do that. So then as a teenager, I had an annual pass and my friend and I would sometimes take the monorail into the park right from Disneyland Hotel. So now you get to enter Disneyland from the monorail. Like, and that, I think in Florida, it probably works that way. Um, and in Anaheim, you know, it's, it's, it's an opera, you know, it's, it's a ride you can ride. So I, I right. love that. I love that. Cause yeah, it's, I mean, it doesn't get much cooler, right? I mean, it's the most space age thing. Even in 2022, it's still this like the monorail. <laughs> it is sleek. It is cool. It yeah. is just the best. Yeah. It's still the future. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> Sam, if you were in charge of the Disney parks, what, if any, changes would you make? Oh, my. Wow. That's a big question. So the parks as a whole, what changes would I make? Um you know, the major change that I would make 
is that I would, to maybe some cast members' chagrin, <laughs> I would really want to do more cast, um, I don't want to say appreciation, but cast awareness. Like, there's all the information backstage. We have cast TV backstage. It'll show you the history or show you, um, uh, yeah, history, relatable stuff, the, the opening, different things like that. So I kind of feel like there are things around to kind of help remind people where they are and what what the company's about. But I would want to actually do more events with the cast members in mind to help them really feel the magic. Um, as the company's gotten busier and uh, probably even more profitable, um, there are things they used to do, like they used to close the parks earlier so then the cast got to have the parks for their special events. And those have adjusted in time to be like a mix-in. So you can be, you can go to the park, but you're still there with all the regular guests. And so you may still see your fellow cast members having a day at the park. I'd like some of that to come back. I'd like that would be a major change for me. Mm-hmm. So that way people, whatever, wherever they're in their journey, if they're in that spot that I mentioned for myself of like, like I like catching when I would fall off of, you know, my horse and not be able to bring the magic anymore. I think that would be really powerful. I think getting, getting the cast members to have time to play in the park or who knows, maybe even time to play somewhere else together that the company is creating. So then that way they can kind of get that family Disney um, feeling or understanding. Cause I do think that it's very well alive in the company, but I don't think everybody gets to experience it or maybe they're not there long enough to really feel it. So that would be what I would change. So it's nothing about like geography or rides or, or anything particular. I think it would just be, I would put a lot more emphasis on making sure that we keep that culture alive and well and growing, you know, and impacting the, the cast lives. Because I think, that's what that's what impacts the guests. I think when the cast is really feeling it, the guests feel it. Like I said, when I was a kid, I thought it was the funnest place in the world, not just because of the rides. I mean, one that's, that's something I love. I, I love seeing a kid playing with a Disney trash can when I'm at Disneyland. It always makes me laugh. I'm just like, that kid's playing with that trash can over there having a blast. But then, you know, when a janitor comes by and he's going to dump something in and he like gives the thumbs up and the kid, the kid gets it, you know, I'm like those... Yeah, making it to where those moments are natural for the, for the cast, you know, where they feel... Like that's what they want to create, you know, without obligation, you know, it's just like, it's part of the joy of being there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. During every interview, I play some games with my guests. Are you down for playing a few games? Let's do this. That's all the time we have for today, but tune in next week for part two with Sam Bird. As always, if you liked what you've heard, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell all of your friends. And if you didn't like it, be sure to tell every single one of your enemies. Follow me on the socials by searching The Mouse and Me. And if you want to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash themouseandme. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you real soon. 